Well, hello, everybody. How you guys doing? Good. You know, actually, in case you don't know, this is one of our anniversaries. Actually, this is the anniversary of our church. It was April the 16th, uh, 1995, when we had our first Easter service here uh, in Pueblo, Colorado. Our church actually started out in a, in a home, and it grew from a home to facilities, and now what you see it today. So thank you for taking part of this and, and being a part of this and being a part of our church. We want to also welcome another group of people, and that is those of you who are streaming this event live stream. And so we have that available today, and so we have people that are, are, are clicking in or checking in or whatever, logging in, whatever you call it. And they are joining this service via the, the internet. And so I just want to welcome you here today. Now let me ask you, well, fact is, let me tell you, if you wouldn't mind doing me a favor, you have your Bibles, you have your electronic devices, uh, I'm going to have you turn to two groups of Scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, 15, and then John chapter 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, John chapter 20. We're going to look at this issue of the empty tomb. We're going to look at this issue of Jesus, the Son of God. Fact is, it was the empty tomb that proved that Jesus was the Son of God. He wasn't a man who became a God. He is God. He was God, and he still is God. And it was the empty tomb that, that proved that he was God. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 15, John chapter 20, you can either click there or turn there. Uh, if you have version and you use that Bible app version, you can use version. open that app, do a search on a live event, you'll find us there, you can punch that, and you're going to get the sermon notes, and you're going to get all the scriptures for today. The question I want to ask you in the moments that I have with you this morning is this, is what, is it, what, what does the empty tomb mean? What did the empty tomb mean? Because it's interesting to me, the disciples who spent about three years with Jesus, uh, they had heard him uh, say a multiple of times that he was going to be crucified, and that on the third day he was going to be raised to, to, to newness of life. And But when you look at the, the story of the, of the resurrection, when you look at the story of the empty tomb, you realize that none of the disciples really expected that to happen. fact is, you don't read that the disciples were there on that Easter morning out in front of the tomb, and they were counting it down. Ten, nine, eight. So the fact is, what you find, you find something just the opposite. See, they really weren't expecting the resurrection because on Friday, the crucifixion, when Jesus Christ was crucified, the disciples ran away like, like screaming ch uh, uh, high school cheerleaders in fear, and they huddled in a room, what the Scripture says, fear of the Jews. See, this weekend is a, is a critical point in Christianity because if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead and if Jesus is not alive right now, then we're wasting our time. That's not what I say, that's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, the Scripture says this, And if Jesus had not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. Now, if you've grown up in church, if you've been around church for a number of years, and then maybe the, the resurrection is a little bit easier for you to embrace than others. But if you're here this morning and and you're about to start your faith journey, or you're starting your faith journey, or you've been in the early stages of your faith journey, or, or maybe you're here because someone made you come, then the resurrection story may cause a lot of doubts in you. And, and, I, and I just want you to know that's okay. And I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you're willing to engage in this conversation with us. Because one of the most powerful things about this story is, is the the disciples had, they had some, doubts, uh, some doubts as well. And it's important for us to understand this morning that, that Christian faith is not based on an idea. 
It's not based on a feeling. It's not based on a philosophy. And it's not based on a song. The Christian faith is based on a historical, verifiable, actual event in history. And that event changed the world. The story of the Bible is how God works to, to in history to restore the, the relationships with broken people like us. You know, it's really true. You can go to the tomb of any religious leader in the world and you can see, well, you can see where they, where they died, where they've been buried, and where their bones are. Uh, Buddha, the founder of Buddhism, died of natural causes at the age of 83, and, and he's buried in Nepal. Muhammad died in 632, and he's buried in, in Medina, Saudi Arabia. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, was killed by an angry mob in Carthage, Illinois, on June the 27th, 1844, and he's, well, he's buried in Illinois. Charles Russell, the founder of Jehovah Witness, died of a heart attack on a train in 1916 and, and somewhere in Texas, and he's buried in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, died of a stroke in 1986, and he's buried along the, the Californian coast. And the bottom line is this, is you can go to any uh, religious leader, and you can go to their, 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 their grave and of any religion, and you'll find their bones there. But you can go outside of Jerusalem like I have done and a group have done from our church and you can get a guide and you can go to the garden tomb which is outside of the old city and you can walk around that tomb. Fact is, you can walk in that tomb and guess what? It's empty. Fact is, fact is here, here, here's a slide. It's a slide of, of, of a picture that my wife took when we were there in, in, in 2008. And so we've been there, and we've seen the tomb, and we've walked around the tomb, and nobody is there. Fact is, I was thinking about this. The tomb of Jesus is the only place in the world that people go to see what is not there. They go to see something that is empty. And so it's true that the Christian faith is not based upon a feeling. It's not based upon a philosophy. It's not based upon a, so a song. Fact is, it is a historical, verifiable event. And when you look and you study for centuries, people have set out to just scrutinize and discredit the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Fact is, when you look at this, you find that many people who have set out to, to refute the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when they look at all the evidence, they themselves became followers of Jesus Christ. Fact is, there is nothing more that the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders would have loved to have done than to refute the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you really think about it, it would have been so easy for them to do so. All they had to do was produce a body. That's all they had to do. All they had to do was say, here is the body. He is dead. And Christianity would have come to a screeching halt. It would have been game over for Christianity. But they could not produce a body because there was not a body to produce. Jesus lived, he died, and then he lived again, and he changed the world. And today I want to take you on a journey, and I want to look at, look at the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the eyes of one person, a doubter. Now listen, probably every person in this room has heard this man's name. Fact is, with this man's name, we, we associate doubt with his name. We associate skepticism with this name. His name is Doubting Thomas. All of us associate doubt with Thomas. And Thomas was probably the biggest skeptic of all time. But Thomas didn't stay that way. 
For three years, Thomas had followed Jesus, and he had seen Jesus teach, uh, perform miracles. Uh, he had seen him heal people. And yet, Thomas was even one of the hand-picked followers of Jesus Christ. But on Good Friday on the crucifixion, with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, it was like all of his hopes and dreams died that day when they removed the nails from his hands and his feet and when they took Jesus off the cross and they wrapped him in burial clothes and they placed him in a tomb and when they sealed the tomb, all of Thomas's hopes and dreams must have died that day. I mean, that was his friend. That was his healer. And it seemed like all of his hope and dreams for the future were crushed. And all of the disciples were in an upper room and they began to confront, comfort each other because they were in fear. John chapter 20, verse 19, here's what the scripture says. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine what celebration and joy that was? The only problem is this. Thomas was missing. Now, we don't know where Thomas was. We don't know if he ran an errand. We don't know if he ran down to loaf and jug and get something to drink. We don't know where Thomas was. But we know this. Thomas missed that. Verse 24, we'll go on. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. In other words, they're like, Thomas, you missed it. Man, why did you leave? Why did you run that errand? You missed it. Jesus showed up here. Jesus was here. And look what Thomas says because he's a skeptic. <coughs> but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Thomas is like, no way. I don't believe it. Thomas may have thought the pressure got to them. Thomas may have thought that the, the stress got to them. Thomas may have thought they wanted to believe it so bad they just got, <coughs> I am so sorry. For the last several weeks, I've been fighting a cough. And it's not getting any better. They tell me what will happen is vocal rest, and that's kind of hard when you're a preacher. And Thomas said, no way. I just can't believe it. Fact is, I can't believe it. Unless, watch this, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Thomas is like, let's just be clear about this, guys. Unless I see him, no. No. I'm a doubter. Unless I can touch his side. I think Thomas must have thought these guys wanted to believe it so bad they just came up with a story. And I think Thomas may have was afraid to get his hopes up again only to have them crushed and to be disappointed. And here's the interesting thing about the story. A whole, a whole week went by and Jesus didn't appear to Thomas one time. Fact is over a 40-day period after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus appeared to many people, and a week goes by, and he didn't appear to, to Thomas. And for, for seven days, Thomas had to struggle with this. 
and struggle with the disciples saying, he is here, he is alive. It makes you wonder what, what Thomas was thinking about. It makes you wonder what Thomas thought process with. Uh, maybe, maybe Thomas was began t- thinking about his, his, own, his own mortality, his own death, his, his own black box. I don't know if you're like me, but whenever someone passes away close to me, death gets on my radar a little bit more. It causes me to think about my mortality just a little bit more. See, when, when you look at this, there's a basically two ways we handle death. Uh, one is we just kind of ignore it, like, like this guy that's going to come up on, on, on the side screens. In other words, we just kind of ignore it, and we just, we just don't think about it, and we just eat, drink, and be merry, and we eat what we want, we do what we want, and we just try to put it out of our minds, and we don't, we don't think about it. And so there's some that are on the ignore it plan, to where I'm not going to think about death, and, and that's, a, that's a great plan and, until you die. And then there's another plan. There's a plan called, I will fight it. In other words, I'll eat right, I'll live healthy, I'll go to the doctor, I'll exercise. And in fact, is we got a slide of this guy, and you may have seen his advertisement. His name is, his name is Dr. Life. He's 80 years old. And, uh, you know, just looking at this from the neck up, he looks like your granddad. From the neck down, he, well, he looks like me. <laughs> yeah, that's hurtful. Why do you laugh so quickly? I'm telling you the reason, I'm telling you the reason I have to wear this jacket is I don't want to cause the ladies to stumble while I preach. <laughs> okay, Karen's saying I need to move on. I'm move, I am moving on. I am moving on quickly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Dr. Life uh, is this guy that eats right, lives healthy, works out, exercises, and does all of those things because I'll, I'll fight it, I'll prolong it, but, but you know what? Dr. Life is going to learn like us, and he's going to realize one day that we're all terminal, that I'm terminal and you're terminal. I wonder if Thomas, after seven days, was no longer trying to ignore it, no longer trying to fight it, but he came to the place to where I'm open to another plan. Maybe that's where you are today. To where you say, you know what, for the first time in my life, I'm kind of open. That's why I'm here. I'm open to another plan. I'm tired of this issue of fighting it. I'm tired of this issue of, of ignoring it because they may be great plans and, until you die. Matthew, or John chapter 20, verse 26. I'd love to have been there when Jesus came walking in the room to see Thomas. Here's what the scripture says. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your, put your finger here. And look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. In other words, he helped him with his doubts. He didn't judge him. He helped him with his doubts. And then he made a statement that he may would like to say to every one of us today that he said to Thomas, and he says, Thomas, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. You can imagine all the disciples are like, hey, we, we, we told you so. And Jesus just simply goes over and says, Thomas, give me your hand. Stop doubting. Believe. In other words, what Jesus was doing, Jesus was offering Thomas a different plan, not a I'll fight it plan, not I'll ignore it plan, 
He was offering him a different plan called the Jesus plan, called the plan, Thomas, follow me and believe. And then Thomas did something that God asked every one of us to do. He, he made a public confession. Watch this, verse 28. And Thomas public confesses Christ. And he says, my Lord and my God. I mean, what an incredible moment that would have been. What, what an incredible moment that must have been for the other disciples to see Thomas, who was a doubter, who was a skeptic, come to faith in Christ to where he could say, you know what, this ignoring it and fighting plan, it's not going to work, and I'm going I'm to choose this plan. I'm going to choose the plan of one who lived, who died, and who is alive again. Verse 29, what's, what's Jesus' response? Verse 29, Jesus says this, then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. And then this next statement was not really directed to Thomas and the disciples. It was directed to us here this morning. And then Jesus says this, he says, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. In other words, he's talking to us right here. And I know what you're saying, or maybe I think I know what you're saying. There could be some pushback. And there's some people say, well, wait a minute, that was easy for the disciples. That was easy for Thomas. Thomas could physically see Jesus. Thomas could, could actually take his hand and place his hand in the nail prints and his hand to, to the body of Jesus Christ. But what evidence... What evidence is there for me to believe? Because I can't. I can't do that. I can't put my hand in his side. Listen, through the years, there have been so many people, like I said earlier, who came to faith in Jesus Christ because they set out to disprove the resurrection. So for a few minutes, very transparently, I would like to talk to you about the ideas that have been presented through the years to try to disprove the empty tomb. Fact is, when you hear these, and we'll walk through some of them, it actually takes more faith to believe in the ideas of man than the biblical account. So here's what we know from a historical record and a biblical record. Jesus was taken in the, the dead of night. He went through an exhausting multiple number of trials through the night. He was beaten. They took a, a crown of thorns and put it on his head. He was forced to carry the cross until he got to the point that he could no longer had the energy to carry the cross. He was crucified. He was pierced. He was taken down. He was put in a tomb. There was a guard. fact is it was high security because the last thing that the Jews and the Romans wanted to happen was is for, the, for Jesus to do what he said he did. Individuals through over that 40-day period uh, had one testimony after another of seeing Jesus. And then you look at the remarkable change in the life of the disciples. Now here's some theories, some ideas of man that have been put forth. Fact is, the first was by the, Jew, by the Jews. Matthew chapter 28, it was a theory of the stolen body. In other words, they say the disciples stole the body. Now that doesn't make a lot of sense, but let's first acknowledge what that already tells us. It tells us that the Jews and the Romans did not know where the body was. The tomb was empty. And so it's really important that we remember that when we look at the other theories. I mean, does it really make sense that a, that a group of disciples who, who ran away from the cross, like screaming high school cheerleaders in fear, they locked themselves in a room because they had fear for the Jews, would really be bold enough to overpower some Roman guards and steal a body? 
Remember Jesus, when Jesus was arrested, the disciples were scattered. Peter is the one that denied him three times. Yet all of a sudden you see after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything changes in the disciples' lives. And they begin to boldly proclaim Christ. We have other theories as well. There's a theory of hallucination. In other words, there's one theory that says, well, these guys just hallucinated this. Well, Paul talks about this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Here's what the scripture says. And I passed on to you what was important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures have said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures have said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have died. In other words, Paul said, he says, you know what, here's the deal. Jesus appeared at one time to 500 people, many of whom are still alive. If, if you doubt that, go ask them. And so some will say that this group of 500 people just hallucinated. The only problem with that, a hallucination is not a group event, it's an individual event. The most popular theory is this, it's called the swoon theory, S-W-O-O-N. It's called the swoon theory that, that, you know what, Jesus didn't really die. That on the cross, he, 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 he fell into a coma. Uh, the coolness of the to- tomb, he woke up and he, he later appeared to the disciples. And does that really make sense to you? Remember, Jesus was, was beaten. He was pierced by the sword. And John 19 tells us that when he was pierced by the sword, that blood and water came out of his body separated, which would indicate cardiac arrest. That Jesus would wake up in the tomb after not eating for three days, after being crucified, after being beaten. He would remove the burial clothes. Then he'd push away a two-ton stone, fight off highly trained Roman guards, walk miles to Emmaus, appear to the disciples as Lord of life, appear individually to Thomas that he is a risen Lord. And none of that makes sense. And the point I'm making here is that Jesus predicted that he would die and be raised again to life. It's important at Easter that we recognize what Jesus did, that he went to the cross, he died for our sins so that we may have an everlasting life, that we would understand Christianity is not based upon a philosophy or a song, but a verifiable historical event. But when I study the Bible about the resurrection, one thing I cannot get away from is this, that these disciples, some who were afraid, some who doubted, some who this idea of the resurrection was kind of crazy to them. And after the crucifixion, they they were ready to disband. They were ready to go back to their careers. They were ready to go back to their old way of life. But within a few weeks of leaving, Jesus appears to them. And now you see them leaving their careers and leaving their friends and leaving their families being willing to tell people about the resurrection. and What happened? History tells us the original apostles, all except for John, who was exiled to the Isle of Patmos where he got the book of Revelation, that all of the disciples were killed by a spear and killed by a, a sword. Some were, some were stoned, and not the Colorado kind, just so we're clear. <laughs> some were beheaded. Some were crucified because Jesus was alive. And here's what you and I have to ask ourselves. What happened between this is crazy 
to where we'll die for this? What happened to where I doubt, to where I'll give up everything? What happened? It's really pretty simple. They saw him. They saw him alive after he had been crucified. None of them really expected it to happen. I mean, their first thought when they heard that the tomb was empty was, who stole the body? Scripture says when Simon Peter ran into the empty tomb, he himself wondered what happened. But after they met the resurrected Christ and knew that he, he had lived and he had died and he was alive again, everything changed for them. I mean, some of the greatest evidence we have is of eyewitnesses. Matthew was a tax collector, and he spoke to Jesus after the resurrection, and he wrote about it in detailed account. Peter was a, was a fisherman. He had breakfast with Jesus, and he, his whole life changed from that encounter. Jesus' own brother was not a follower of Jesus until after the resurrection. Think about it. When he saw him alive, when he saw him after the resurrection, everything changed in his life. A doctor by the name of Luke wrote a very detailed account about the life of Jesus and the events surrounding his death, his death and his resurrection, his life. In fact, his, his writings can be found in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts. Paul was a radical Jewish fundamentalist, and he persecuted the church. He lived to persecute the church, and he sees Jesus in resurrected form. And he, he, no longer was a, he no longer was a persecutor of the church, but he became a servant of the church, and he wrote a third of the New Testament. See, these, li these people's lives didn't change because of a philosophy, because of an idea, because of a song. Their lives changed because they saw something. Their lives changed because they encountered something. Listen, the foundation of the Christian life is not a philosophy. That sometimes we feel like God is there and sometimes we don't. Where sometimes we feel like God loves me and sometimes we don't. The foundation is an event that changed the world. It's how God worked in history to restore the relationship between broken people like us and to him. And I'm telling you, I am absolutely convinced. I've given my life to this. This is not a job to me. There are men and women and boys and girls that are in a deep need to have a, a relationship with Christ. And I'm absolutely convinced that 100, nows, 100 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter in your life is what you believe about Jesus Christ, what you decide to do with Jesus. The only thing that's really going to matter for you, the only thing that's going to really matter for your friends, the only thing that's going to really matter for your kids is do you believe in Jesus? Your marriage decision, I understand that's significant. Who you date, significant. What career, what education, what profession you and I choose, that's significant. Where you go to college, what do you do, those are all significant decisions. And those are important decisions, but I'm here to tell you this morning that the only thing that's going to matter in a hundred years is not where you went to school, not your career, not your education, but who do you believe Jesus is? Romans 10, 9 through 10, Apostle Paul writes these words, and he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. Now listen, based on these things that we've looked at this morning, I want to give you just three questions. I want to give you just real quickly three takeaways today that every one of us is going to look at. The first one is this. When did you believe in the events of the resurrection? Some may will say, well, I believed as an early child and I went to a camp or my parents told me and when I was an adult sometimes someone explained it to me. There may be some of you here this morning and say, Charlie, I, I can't explain it to you, but sitting here today, something's happened and I, I believe it, I get it. And for the first time in my life, I get it that Jesus lived and he died and, and he's alive today and and listen, let me tell you something. Let me just encourage you. I, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you believe, but see, believe if, is, your, is your first step. It's not your last step. In fact, as you see it in Thomas's life, and in fact, as James chapter 2 tells us that, that even the, the demons believe. They witness the resurrection. But you're not going to see them in heaven because it ended right there. It's your first step, not your second step not your last step. Next question would be this, when did you accept the events of the, of the resurrection? When did you have that moment, in, well, that Thomas moment in your life where you say, I, I just don't believe that you're God and that you're Lord, but I accept and I say that you are my Lord and my God. It's a lordship issue. It's so important that you have that moment in your life where where you've been pardoned by God and he's taken away the sins of the world and, 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 uh, and you have forgiveness in him because without that, the scripture says that you'll spend eternity separated for him. He made a payment for your sin on the cross and listen, I'm, you may know all about God and you may, you, may have, you may have multiple Bibles in your home. You may even have the Bible on your phone and you may go to church, but listen, let me just tell you that that doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It's a decision that you have to make. So when did, when did you believe? When did you accept? And the last one is this, when did you have that Thomas moment? When did you publicly confess him as Lord? This is what, this is what Paul said in Romans 10, 9. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus put it a little bit differently in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Here's what Jesus said. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Listen, if you don't have a time in your life to where you can look back and say, I believed, I accepted, and I confessed. This morning, we're going to give you that amazing opportunity. So where are you today? This is a decision that impacts your life, that will impact your life a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now. Could I ask you do, you, do you need to take a step today? Do you need to believe to accept and confess it. For me, it, this, happened in my, this happened in my 20s. 
I was raised in a good home, and my parents taught me a lot of moral stuff. But I wasn't raised in church. It was in my 20s when I came to that place to where I believed, accepted, and confessed. I'm going to ask Pastor Chad and our band are going to begin making their way up. And as they're making their way up, I'm just going to ask that maybe you would look at those three questions personally. When did you believe? When did you accept? And when did you confess? Jesus was the one that said, whoever will acknowledge me publicly, I will acknowledge before my Father. I'm telling you, you are not here this morning by accident. God has brought you here this morning for a reason. So today, if you're coming to faith in Christ, we want to celebrate that. And I want to give you a moment to respond. Would you bow your heads with me and just close your eyes? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you know God has been speaking to you today. And maybe you know that he's asking you to make a courageous step. There's a man in the Bible that he actually told Jesus. He said, Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And maybe this morning, maybe you need to ask God for some courage to make the decision and to follow through. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me just ask you, when was the time in your life when you believed in the resurrection? And remember, it cannot stay there. When did you come to the place to where you accepted? Then let me ask you this. Have you ever confessed that publicly? Here's what we're going to ask you to do with your heads bowed and eyes closed. The only reason we ask for heads bowed and eyes closed is because we're just so easily distracted in a room this large with this many people. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, do you need to accept him? Do you need to ask him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and give you the gift of eternal life? And then do you need to publicly confess him? In just a few minutes, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to stand. And we're going to worship in a couple of more songs so you have, you have time. And I'm going to invite you that if you need to confess him, if you have a burden in your life, if you have a prayer request, if you just need to talk to someone, man, don't wait. After I pray, as soon as we stand up, as you stand up, you just step out. Do you publicly confess him today and say, I don't care who sees, I don't care who knows. So I'm telling your family, they will celebrate that. Fact is, we're going to celebrate that for you this morning. You will hear us clapping for you. Scripture says in heaven, When someone comes to Christ, when someone accepts him, it says that the angels in heaven throw a party. 
And if they're willing to throw a party, if they're willing to celebrate, we're going to celebrate here this morning. We're praying for you. So if you need to accept him, if you need to confess him, if you have a, a, a prayer request, you have a burden, you want to talk to someone, we believe you already know who you are. Just real quickly, after I pray, we stand. You step out, begin making your way down here. We will greet you down here. We will encourage you. We will talk with you. We will meet you down here. You come after I pray. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your grace. And Father, by the power of your name, we ask that you pull this church very closely to you, that people will respond to you, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with me, and as you stand, if you need to respond to him, if you need to ask him to come into your life, if you need to confess him, if you have a burden, we have people already coming for our prayer. We have people coming. You come. You come.